Hi, everybody. My name is Chase Cotton. I'm the community director here at the Willow Center in Brownsburg, Indiana. I am your host. This is the Uniquely Better Life podcast. Welcome back to episode 10 of season two. This month, we are talking about stigma and societal change. I am so excited to introduce you to my friend, Denise. Uh, But before we do that, let's hit our intro music and then we'll dive in. Welcome, Denise. Thank you so much for being our guest. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Denise. I am in recovery. Awesome. Is there anything you could share about just being in recovery? Any background we we need to know before we dive into this discussion on stigma? No, recovery has really just changed my life. It has um, opened my eyes um, in a lot of ways on um, how to, uh, to have restoration in life. Love that. Love that word, restoration. That's a power word right there. It is. <laughs> so let's talk about stigma, Denise. It, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about this right. on a recovery and mental health podcast. And I feel like it's sort of like the undercurrent and the thread to darn near every episode of it that we record. But if you could define stigma in your own words, how would you define it? Uh, stigma to me is a mark of disgrace. A mark of disgrace. Yes. Could you say more about that? Yes. Um, so I believe uh, with a mark of disgrace, uh, it leads uh, one to um, guilt, which leads to isolation. Mm. Um, and isolation leads to social disconnect. Mm. And without social connection, recovery is bleak. Yeah, that's so important. So to summarize, if I could repeat that back. So it, so it leads to guilt. So this this um, disgracing that others put on you leads to guilt, or maybe another word for that would be like shame. Yes, some would argue there might be a difference. That shame leads to isolation. That isolation leads to social disconnection, and with that disconnection, I mean, recovery becomes nearly impossible. Uh, correct, correct. Uh, I think uh, when you have social disconnection, that you are only stuck in your own mind. Mm. You uh, you're not giving. Um, anybody else's input you stay away from society there it hinders growth yeah hinders your growth that's so important and i think that isolation i mean even just from a statistical standpoint is one of the biggest risk factors when it comes to tragedies like overdose like um, suicide and self-harm like we need those people in our lives that aren't stigmatizing us correct so what does stigma look like in practicality? Like what are some different types or examples of stigma that cause that type of isolation, in particular against members of the mental health and recovery community? Um, I, I think labels. Uh, labels, I think like um, a junkie or drug addict mm-hmm. or um, just any label that society puts on um, people in addiction uh, hinders the, the, the ability to grow in recovery. I right. mean, uh, people, their self-worth is, de- you know, is de- uh, deteriorizes. Right. They just don't feel worth. Yeah. Have you ever experienced being labeled like that? Definitely. Definitely. I think in the criminal court system, mm. you know, by employers, when you have to check off the box, right. you know, I think that addiction uh, hinders all of those areas and uh, the, the, the chance of growing 
is is dramatically re- reduced yeah with labels yeah because those labels are so stifling to who someone actually is as a person definitely it's what society thinks of them mm. yeah and i think um society does not have the uh, the amount of education and resources to understand it yeah it being like the experience from someone who is or has been addicted to a substance correct or mental illness. yes yeah i think that's so true sometimes i think um stigma is just a nice buzzword used in hr manuals right know? right <laughs> or or it's something that um you know these bigger companies will only make mention of during awareness months right know, right mental health awareness month or recovery awareness month like, oh we need to stop the stigma but then in practicality, especially when it comes to, you know, like, like um, the systems that affect the people who are trying to get into long-term recovery, like, not a lot of change happens. Right. Which is troubling. It is troubling. Uh, have you ever experienced that type of stigma on a personal level? You mentioned like the criminal court system. You mentioned the employment system. What, what about even just from friends and family members? Does it exist there? Oh, definitely. Um, I, I was um, shunned. I was not um, able to attend family functions Uh because of my addiction. So there's many Christmases and Thanksgivings that I have missed due to my addiction because my family did not understand. Right. Didn't understand and or didn't want to. Or didn't want to. I think that's the other half that sometimes doesn't get talked about. Yes. Sometimes ignorance is willful. Right. Right. But, um... In recovery, uh, I think a lot of bridges can be mended, and and the the stigma starts to fade um, to a degree in in personal and family relationships and development. Mm. There is one negative outweighs ten positive, mm. you know. So there's a lot more steps that have to be taken in recovery to to show who you are. That I love how you worded that to show who you are. So what are some of those steps from your experience, from your perspective as a person in long term recovery? that have to be taken to try and rebuild some of those bridges that stigma is causing a barrier to the rebuilding process? I I think it's definitely action and not words because I think during my addiction, active addiction, that I had a lot of words, Mm. you know, and less action. So now I, uh, more action, less words. I think actions will speak louder than any words that you can speak. Sure. The the consistency in showing up. The consistency. Showing up. You know, productivity and parenting or being a good partner, those sorts of things. Definitely. Showing up is one of the hugest things. Just because when uh, you're in the middle of addiction, isolation, you don't show up. Right. You know, so uh, showing up is the opposite of isolation. Right. Yeah, that's huge. So what what would you recommend, especially to those who aren't um, members of the recovery community or haven't experienced mental health struggles, what would you recommend to them? In, like in the moment, how to address st- stigma or labeling when it's expressed? Well, I think um, be respectful, compassionate to those who have addiction issues. Mm-hmm. Um, educate friends and family. Uh, pass on facts. Just, uh, you know, educational facts. Just pass it on. Yeah. And uh, we need to challenge stereotypes. Yeah. Which is hard to do, right? Because it definitely. feels like we're entering into conflict when we do that. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, and it doesn't have to be conflict. I think that, you know, um, just to be uh, an eye opener, just to, you know, I think why don't we do poster boards? You know how they have the poster boards of people before meth and after meth. Right. Why don't we do bef- uh, on meth and then or 
you know, before meth and after meth. I mean, do it opposite, you know, show what recovery does, you know, because they want to show us, well, you know, this is what a person looked like before and this is what a person looks like on meth. You know, let's show them what they look like. Yeah. Right. Show them what what we can, what strides can be made through recovery. I mean, I think people, they are better to make choices and decisions by seeing Mm. instead of hearing, you know. So if we can show things instead of just, uh, let them hear. Right. Yeah, I think that's such a good example, Denise. Like, um, I remember, you know, in, in elementary, middle school, seeing those posters up in my school. Right. You know, whether it was part of some of the old outdated programming that they used, but it, like, it was always it was always what to avoid and never, you know, what can someone struggling look forward to should they take the next healthy step? Definitely, definitely. I, I love that. Um, so let's do a hypothetical for our okay. listeners. Okay. Okay. So let's say, let's say we are at a coffee shop, all right, with friends, all right, you and I are there, and one of our friends uh, is is talking about um, their, uh, let's say their sister, and their sister is struggling with addiction, they have a substance use disorder of some sort, and they say something like, she is such a junkie, and I can't stand it, I can't stand how she's always tweaking after it, and always trying to get her fixed, and she's such a bane on our family, and I'm so ashamed of her, like, what, what do we do in that moment? Um, ooh, that's how do we one. address that stereotype, right? Right, There's a right. whole bunch of stereotypes at once. I, I think maybe try to, to um, get them to think about who she was before, mm. you know, who was she before, and what goals did she have, and what good character traits did she have before addiction and how that is possible to have that again and even better afterwards given the right education and, and support, right? You know, support support is, is super huge. I mean, if someone, if an addict feels like they do not have a support system, they don't know how to get back up, right? You know, and it's important, important. I can't stress how important it is to have support without enabling. Hmm. The right type of support. The right not loving of, someone to death. Not loving someone to death. Loving them in the right way. Right. They feel it. They can take the next best step. Definitely. Yeah. Be, because I think enabling has a lot to do with people, uh, family members, not knowing how to, to address a situation, mm-hmm. you know, and thinking they're helping when they're really not. Right. I wonder if there's not a stronger connection between enabling behaviors and stigma than we might think. Right. You know, because... Another definition for stigma that I've heard in the past is, um, you know, a set of like attitudes or beliefs that are misinformed. Yes. Right. Because I feel like whether again, whether that ignorance is willful or unwillful, it's definitely misinformed and misinformation leads to poor output. (laughs) So if I am misinformed about my family member, my friend who is addicted to a substance, I'm going to put out misinformed outputs as in regards to how I'm trying to support them. And I think that could do more harm than good. Right. I, I feel like uh, stigma is, is has a, a role in deaths that are going on with the opiate crisis right now. Oh, absolutely. You know, I think that um, addic- addicts feel as though that they can't get past it. You know, they're, Oh, I'm just a junkie or I'm just this because that's what society says I am. So maybe that's what I am. Hmm. It's just sad. I just don't think that society sees how much stigmas play a role in the death of our of our loved ones. Right. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. That's so important. Because um, stigma is not just a words problem. It's not just, 
you know, it's not just a marketing thing. Like stigma is life or death. Life or death. That's really important. That's how important it is, you know, for us to discuss and try and get the right, you know, the right information out there. So, so let's make it personal then. What what needs to change for a person who is not in recovery or not experienced this? What needs to change in their own heart on a personal level to destigmatize the way they think about the recovery community? Oh, compassion and kindness goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Um, being open-minded to new ideas. Open-mindedness. Open-mindedness. Um, willingness. Yeah, a little willingness goes a long way. Willingness too. to accept uh, what we have going on here and open-mindedness on what what part can they take in society to change this. Right. And I, I feel like that willingness can do such good amongst the, you know, the not in recovery community, right? You know, the, the majority, if you will, right? Because if someone is willing to tell their friends, you know, hey, that's, we shouldn't, we shouldn't call people that, you know, like that's our friend. That's right. Our if, if one person, if one person were to play that role in their family of sort of the peacemaker, the connector, the bridge builder, where it's like, you know, I get this person's like maybe hurt us in some way or whatever, but it's like, they're still them, you know, they're still them deep inside. Like they need support, not ostracization correct no it all it takes is that one person with a little bit of willingness and i don't think society even if they they they're not directly affected by it doesn't mean they're not going to be ah good point what do you, you mean know, by that um the way that this this crisis is growing that it touches lives that uh people thought they were untouchable mm. you know uh I just think as it's growing and addiction is um, definitely recovery is growing as well. But um, I think as addiction grows, it's going to affect more people's lives. And it's going to, um, it's how we bring up our kids today. You know, uh, I think, you know, our moral moral vice or what we show our kids and how we lead our kids, you know, and educate our children. Because it's happening in junior highs. Right. You know, middle it's schools, vaping, you know, it's right. Use, yeah. And, you know, a person can say, oh, I just I'm just going to smoke weed once. But that's, you know, that's the start of everything. You don't right. know if you're going to be an addict. You know, I think I think most people don't plan on. No, it. no, <laughs> it sure wasn't my plan. I planned on being a naturalist in Borneo and Sumatra and uh, um, studying orangutans when I was a kid. And I yeah. never thought that I'm going to be in the criminal justice system right. and being an addict. But um, I'm grateful for where I'm at. Sure. You know, uh, I really feel like that people can look at all these negative things, but there's so many positive things about addicts too. I, uh, in the fact of they're very resilient, mm-hmm. you know, they can live with nothing and live with everything. Yeah. You can put a, uh, and their ability to acclimate is amazing. You can put a, an addict in Hallville and you can take them and put them in Carmel and they're resilient that they can, they can, they can adapt. Right. And the humility factor, yeah. you know, Humility is a big thing. Um, the their amount of loss and able to get back up is is remarkable. Absolutely, yeah, I love that strengths based mindset at looking at, at you know this community that that we are allies of and members of because it it starts to tell a different narrative right than the yes. societal one. The societal one otherizes folks who are in recovery and folks who've experienced mental illness in a way that makes them so so unique and so separate from the rest of the world. Whereas a strength-based mindset, like you just exhibited, it's like that makes them part of all of us again. Yes. Right. And not only that, that makes them admirable. 
that makes them, you know, our friends and our family members we can look up to, that we can lift up, that we can promote, you know, Definitely. and enjoy relationships with. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. So what about um, going from the personal level to the societal level? What do you think needs to change with just the systems that we are all parts of in order to destigmatize? Educate, educate, educate. I yeah. think that education is super important and, and, and passing on facts. I right. mean, a lot of society is, um, doesn't have the accurate information. Mm-hmm. And um, people add to it or take from it what they want. I just think accurate information and uh, can bring communities together. Right. Yeah, that's huge. Tell the truth. Right? Tell the truth. Be honest. Yeah, and, you know, secrets keep us sick. You know, addicts feel like they have to keep it a secret. Right. You know, and it's keeping them sick. If they had the support system uh, in society, even, you know, family, uh, be able to go to the church and talk to somebody or, uh, you know, be able to to reach out right. and not keep it within, that is, a you know, that, that will break that cycle. Yeah, that's so huge. I appreciate it. I appreciate how you put that. So listeners out there, if you're a leader of some sort of system, whether that's in the education system, maybe you're a teacher or a principal or the healthcare system, maybe you're a nurse or a practitioner or a doctor, maybe you're a, an employer or an HR director, maybe you are an officer in the corrections system, you have a responsibility to make a difference for this community. And the difference you can make is by telling the truth. And the truth is that we're all human the truth is that recovery is possible. The truth is that there is hope. The truth is that we do not define ourselves and ought not be defined by other people's labels of us, especially when they're so negative and stigmatizing. Like you, leader, you have a responsibility in your community to pass on the truth. So let that be a call to action from our friend Denise, right? Right. Thank you. So I, I'm all about practicality and trying to give... Um, you know, anybody the Willow Center touches something that is like a tool that they can immediately put in their pocket and use. So I wanted to kind of end this conversation talking about language, right? Which is sort of where we started. You started by defining it with, you know, sort of like the labels that we put on our, um, on each other as being a, you know, a big role in stigma. I think the labels that we attribute to people who have experienced addiction or experienced substance use are sometimes the first step, but also the most longstanding Definitely. step of stigma. Right. Um, so what labels should we be using? What are some of these more positive, strength-based language pieces that we should start using more often? Um, someone in active recovery. Uh, mental use disorder. Mm. Well, honestly, I mean, those two are also this already a huge change in perspective, right? So saying someone with a, with a mental health disorder. Yes. That is john or betsy or whomever is is that they are experiencing that they're a person experiencing that mental health struggle or saying a person recovery that's different than saying a former addict even right right? because it's focused on the solution it's focused on the hope they're living now as opposed to you know the hardship they experienced in the past definitely so those two are simple but they're huge you know yeah so what what parting words of, of hope or encouragement would you give our listeners just in regards to destigmatizing, changing the way we act, changing the way our society works? Any parting words of wisdom? Um, just be kind. Uh, we are all human. And n- no one is, um, addiction doesn't discriminate. Yeah. You know, it, it is it is at every door in our, in our society. And um, 
just keep an open eyes and uh, be a good support and be open-minded and uh, give support. Love one another. Love one another. That is the note to end on. Thank you, Denise. Thank for you. Your experience and your wisdom. It's been a pleasure to share these few minutes with you. Thank you all for listening. This is the last episode of season two of the Unique, Uniquely Better Life podcast. I've been your host. My name is Chase Cotton with the Willow Center here in Brownsburg, Indiana. We will kick off in February 2023 with season three. Hope to see you then. <laughs>